0: But this was really
1: 1981 arrived.
0: the rock and roll nightmares podcast i'm your host stacy lane wilson author of the rock and roll nightmares book series and director of the documentary the ventures stars on guitars this is your destination for all things rock where the interviewees include musicians authors historians filmmakers and more and now on to the show My guest today is Keith Rawson, the author of the much-talked-about new novel, Fever House, which is about a small-time criminal, a has-been rock musician, and a shadowy government agency, all at the mercy of a severed hand with dark powers. Keith has also done graphic design work and recently took up boxing. I finished Fever House recently, so I'm eager to find out more about Keith's process and how he came up with such an unusual story let's get him on the line. Well, hi, Keith. Welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, your uh, gruesome novel, Fever House, is being described as a literary horror crime book. Um, so is literary kind of thrown in there to rope in the unsuspecting normies?
1: No, I think that I, you know, I um, I want to be a literary author so bad. And I love the, like, use of language and uh, emphasis on, like, characterization and stuff uh, that a lot of literary works tackle. But I also grew up on, like, G.I. Joe and Stephen King and, you know, like, uh, old punk records. And so my stuff is really just a merging of all these disparate elements but that the I just I I want to be a literary author but I can't not put like a ghost or a robot or something in you
0: know (laughs) Ah, that's perfect well you did mention punk rock and one of the best descriptions that I've read of fever house is that it's pulp fiction meets a punk rock da vinci code (laughs) so yeah any reviews or feedback that surprised you or that you didn't expect
1: you know, there was one review where um someone likened the uh, um the main female character as kind of this aging woman who fronted a band um likening her to Courtney Love. Uh and that was really surprising just because of like um, it's such a, like the the way that uh Courtney Love has been portrayed in the media it was just vastly different than than how I I present this woman in um a novel, you know, uh, way less bombastic and stuff. Um, so yeah, that was a bit of a drip. yeah.
0: I didn't, see, I read the book and didn't feel any Courtney love in there, but uh, that's yeah. kind of the neat thing about writing a book and putting it out into the world is that different people take different things from it.
1: I have learned, yeah, I have learned to shut the heck up after the book comes out, you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. there are. And it can be challenging. Like I felt misrepresented before in reviews, but like you said, it really is not yours anymore. You know, one of the things that it's tough for writers sometimes is to just give people room to like experience it the way they experience it.
0: Yes. And there are so many different avenues that people can sort of mom onto with Beaver House because the plot is just so wild. I mean, there's the disembodied <laughs> hand, which I imagine was inspired by the hand of Gloria or, who knows, maybe even the Oliver Stone, uh, Michael Kane movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm trying to think of where definitively that came from. And honestly, I think it was the real impetus came from one of the characters, this guy, Nick Coffin, uh, him finding just a severed body part inside of an old like leather doctor's bag, you know, it was really just the genesis of almost the entire book. And so then it's like, You get an image like that and then you get to explore like, well, how and why? And so it's really just building these images and stuff you want to write about and then building the scaffolding around it.
0: Right. Well, you have a lot of different threads, including government. I mean, there's like huge, big ideas and then little small kind of uh, moments. So how do you tie all those different threads together?
1: It really is just picking like three or four disparate things that you want to write about. And, uh, and then figuring out how the hell they all lace together into something resembling a plot. So that's what I've done with every single one of my book books is I just settle on something that I want to write about. And in this case, it's like kind of the, the punk feeding frenzy of the nineties is a big thing. Uh, government notions of government and police overreach in, um, law enforcement, uh, and then like the occult, all these kind of things, and then you just figure out like how do I piecemeal them into a story and, and a plot that doesn't just sit on its hands and you know kind of meander around, like you want it to go.
0: There's never a dull moment, and <laughs> yeah, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you was because in the writing world, there are people who plot plotters and pancers, you know, people who really. Come up with a very detailed Mm -hmm. outline and stick to that. And then there are others who quote unquote fly by the seat of their pants. So which are you?
1: I've absolutely been a pantser. Um, When things are going really well, uh, the next couple chapters or ideas get lodged loose as I'm writing. You know what I mean? So it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, this happened just now that I wrote. So that means that uh, this is going to happen X chapters down the road. And so if the writing's going really well, well, things reveal themselves. And when they when that stops happening and when I get stuck, that's when I have to stop and, and backtrack and think about where I veered off the path of like inspiration.
0: And in, in talking about more of the practical parts of writing, as I mentioned in the introduction, that you're legally blind and that I'm wondering how that affects the process of the actual writing
1: yeah, you know, I'm actually—I uh, was a illustrator and designer too for a long time, um, doing like band shirts and and stuff. And um, that was—I got so burnt on it on all the accoutrements that you need, or that I need, being an old old ass graphic designer without tablets and stuff. So I did everything by hand, scanned it, and then colored it, and then and did all the typography and stuff. And um, just got tired of all pieces of it you know like paper Mm -hmm. scanner materials if you screw up it's such a difficult thing editing it you know and that's why I love writing so much because it's just the brazen simplicity of just me and a screen you know what I mean
0: yeah you're really painting pictures with words
1: yeah and so I I just I have I just relish that simplicity of just like this is all I need is a paper and a pen or a computer screen. Um, and so my eyesight doesn't really, it's not hindered by writing is not hindered at all with my eyesight illustration. It lends, I have virtually no peripheral vision. And so I, um, I have like really severe tunnel vision. So it lends all of my illustrations, this really weird, like kind of flatness that you have to, um, mask using various like uh graphic design tricks to make it more visually interesting but yeah like still lives like i cannot do that stuff to save my life like they just look very flat
0: a lot of writers now are using uh, text to voice for proofreading do you do something mm-hmm. like that or do you do it the old-fashioned way
1: yeah i'm just i i think i'm set in my ways you know um i've heard of folks who who write like entirely in longhand and uh, I do a lot of um, brainstorming in in journals. Mm-hmm. Uh, if like like I am stuck in a story, then I'll, I'll use that to kind of lodge stuff loose. But beyond that, it's just it's just word, like Microsoft Word, and me staring at each other.
0: Same here. I love Microsoft Word. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. great product
1: yeah. placement. All right. I mean, it's got there everything go. you need. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
0: Um, Well, I understand that this is your first novel with Random House, though you have written Mm -hmm. other books. um, And it's uh, your first with a big publisher, one of the big five. Mm So um, can you talk about the different circumstances that that presented? Because I imagine it did skew some things.
1: Uh, I did three other novels and a story collection on uh, Indie Press called Meerkat Press. And that's essentially run by one woman who does essentially everything from like, like, I mean, I did my own covers, but she does like a lot of the design elements. She does the editing, the acquisitions, uh, all of the sales, all the marketing, um, all of like handling distribution. And so it's an insane amount of work for one person to do. So she and I essentially did all the PR stuff for my first four books. And the biggest thing to me that is just insane is that big publishers have entire teams that are dedicated to that stuff, whereas that's their job. And they're, you know, very good at it. Um, And there's no, like, they, I'm sure they have secondary hats that I have no idea about, you know, it's, it's not like they just do this and it's easy, but like you have an entire (laughs) team dedicated to that versus, you know, two people trying to do every Avenue of a book. So to me, like, that's way different. And like publicity, you know, like people like I'm going to New York next week to do a bunch of like Comic-Con signings and, and doing some book reading events and everything. And like that uh, is not necessarily an option, you know, with a smaller publisher or if it is, you have to fund it yourself. That's you know? true.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned that you had input or you designed your own covers before. Mm-hmm. And I love the cover on the new book. So did you have oh, input with that?
1: No, I, that was a, a designer named Ella Latham and she did uh Stephen Graham Jones is the only good Indians. And she, oh, I believe yeah. she's doing a bunch of stuff for star Wars. Um, But she just like, it's so iconic, you know? And I was like trepidatious about it at first. Cause it, it lent a kind of like, um, almost humor. I was worried about people thinking it was funny, mm-hmm. um, but it's—I mean—the book is so over the top. So I was worried about possibly being misconstrued. You know, the book being misconstrued. But eventually, I just realized like it's so striking, and and the the layout, typographic choices she used and stuff—it's just amazing. So I could not have come up with anything as good as that.
0: And it feels like you. So I think that she really nailed it yeah. in that way, and that yeah, it's, it's awesome. Simple, uh, but to the point. <laughs> you know, it's really and, good. like.
1: You can see like there can be like a hundred books and maybe it's because I wrote it. I don't know. But like you see it in a line and it's like my eyes personally are just drawn to it's such a bold color choice and and bold image. And and again, like the text is just my eyes are drawn to it, you know?
0: Yeah. And then once you dive into the book, there are so many interesting characters, which I, you know, it's would have been hard. I would think even to keep track of all of them when you're writing it, but as you read it, it's not hard to keep track of them, even though there are That's... a lot of them. So which one was one of the easiest or most fun for you to write?
1: Uh, You know, this guy, Hutch Holtz, who's this big kind of uh, debt collector, leg breaker guy. Um, he was he was haunting me from other straight crime novel, like crime manuscripts I'd written. And uh, they just never really went anywhere. You know, it was one of those things where I lost that, I lost that thread I mentioned earlier. And I just couldn't really revive it. Mm-hmm. And so he's been in, in multiple uh, manuscripts before. And when I put him in this one, things took off. So that first like 25 pages probably of um, Fever House where he and his co-worker Tim are um, going to, to collect a debt. That's straight from another book, essentially.
0: Oh, wow. Well, yeah, um, it really draws you in and puts you into their world in such um, a, yeah, kind of a, a interesting way where you kind of feel yeah. like you're a fly on the wall on this terrible land yeah, right. that they're off to run. Yeah. Yeah, that was really well done. So what is your main objective when you write a novel?
1: Oh, my God. That is like... I don't know if anybody can answer that question. And if they do, like, I'm very impressed. But I I think I just, I don't even know if I have an objective. I think it's, it's just what I do. You know what I mean? It's like, I get so much joy out of writing, and so much fulfillment. And piecing together all of these uh, threads and like, trying to navigate plot while also having characters that seem vaguely believable. Like all that is just such a a joyous challenge to me that my objectives are just to tell a story. And then after that, like after I get a first draft done, then things kind of reveal themselves as far as, Oh, here's a theme. Oh, here is uh, what I'm trying to tell about like, you know, potential, uh, police overreach, or um, social justice, or whatever, you know what I mean?
0: Stephen King's most recent book, Holly, got a lot of flack because it seemed to have a political agenda, but, you mm-hmm. know, when I, I haven't read all of your books, but I just recently read Fever House, and I could yeah. see those... Themes, but it wasn't um, like a sledgehammer over the head where you're right. not making it like um, You don't have an agenda, but there's. Yeah, like things. a
1: diatribe or heavy handedness, you know. And I, I really feel like so much of like character motivation for pretty much anybody in any of my books are either people are afraid of not getting what they think they deserve or they're afraid of having something taken away from them. And really, that is like so many. Um, Motivation and plot distilled down is like those two things and a myriad of characters just butting up against each other with those fears in mind.
0: And you were talking about your previous uh, incarnation as a graphic designer, which kind of springboarded you into this. But I love that you have the washed up rock star character who is not like Courtney Love in my opinion. Uh (laughs) But I know that you have a background in doing the graphic designs for some famous bands. I saw Green Day on your website. So I'd love to know more about that as well as what you learned from the music world that you were able to carry over and incorporate into the book.
1: Yeah, you know, I started, um, I've always been drawing and I started doing punk fanzines in my teens and um, just as a, you know, a teenager just started like writing bands and asking to do art for them. And I think I did my first like seven inch design when I was 16. Um, and so I just kind of springboarded off from there until I was eventually able to, you know, make money at it a lot again that was the other thing that it got that freelancing is just so hard navigating all of that and like this person needs a vendor id number and then you got to invoice this person and keep track of it and again it's just like it's so challenging and so i love doing the art i didn't like um you know I, i would just get asked to do crazy like how about a raccoon pulling a guy's head off? And then our band name is up top, you know, stuff like that is like <laughs> so hilarious and ridiculous, but then trying to get paid for like potentially a nominal amount is just so tough. And so that I kind of burnt, got burnt out. And, and so that's why I, I'm just, I just love, again, the simplicity of writing so much.
0: Yeah. Well, how did you turn the corner from being a freelance artist and then um an indie published author to random. Right.
1: You know, I did um I started out doing all the art stuff. And while I was doing that, I started writing short stories and, and trying to get those published. And um my first novel came out when I was forty um on Meerkat. It was called The Mercy of the Tide. And um and I had an agent and uh, he just had difficulty uh, landing my books because uh, Fever House is right on track with the weirdness of all the other ones. They're all weird as hell. You know what okay. I mean? And so we finally parted ways over decisions about like story collections and kind of where my career should go. Um, and so I was able to, so I wrote Fever House, landed my new agent uh, Chad Louiebel at Jan Clow and Nesbitt. And he was like, um, I'm going to send Fever House out to like eight of these editors and then we'll send it out to on, on a Thursday. And then we'll send the rest out to like 30 other people on Monday. But let's give these people a kind of early heads up. And so the next day, we got an email from Caitlin McKenna at Random House who was just like, oh my gosh, is there a sequel?
0: Oh wow!
1: Yeah, it was amazing. And so she had her team read Fever House over the weekend. And then on Monday, she emailed Chad and was like, I want to set up a call with this guy. And so Tuesday, she called me and prefaced the conversation with like, I don't have this conversation with anybody unless I'm willing to make an offer, which is just amazing to hear. You know what I mean? After like working on, you know, doing four other books over, you know five or six years and just working really hard at it. It was just incredible. And then Wednesday she made an offer. Um, so it was like less than a week, like the book sold in less than a week.
0: Wow. That doesn't happen very often. That's
1: yeah. What, and it was yeah a, what a great it was a,
0: story. Well, I mean, it's yeah. your kind of a, well, you know, an overnight success in some regard, but you've been working right, at right. it for a very, very long time. Yeah. People don't see that part of it.
1: Right. And then, yeah, and it was a two, so it was for a two book deal. And we finally, I uh, got the sequel to it um, called The Devil by Name. I got that manuscript approved. And so that should be out next summer.
0: All right. Wow. So people can enjoy Fever House now and look for The Devil by Name next year. Um, yeah. And is there audio books this... too? And...
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Uh, Zay Sands. Uh, narrated Fever House uh, and she's excellent and uh, I'm not I have no idea what uh, the devil by name will look like as far as that goes because we're not even there yet but I'm assuming and I hope that she will be able to do that as well
0: yeah Well I want to kind of circle back to your writing process and wondering since music is such an important part of Fever House and and you as a person do you listen to music when you write
1: oh absolutely yeah um, I, I vacillate between like punk stuff and, um, sad folk music, uh, and like weird witchy flute music. You know what I mean? Depending oh, wow. on what, yeah. what I need to get into, you know, um, I sometimes see. like words are really distracting. So I'll just be like, oh, Enya, welcome, welcome, you know?
0: Right, yeah, yeah, because I find that yeah, I, I love to listen to lyrics, and it kind of distracts me when I'm writing. So yeah, I yeah, totally. why you say that? Now you love punk. We know this from yeah. looking at mm-hmm. your social media and just your right. writing style is very punk rock. Um, what yeah. is it about that genre of music that you like and keeps you interested?
1: You know, I think that uh, I mean, I love the the simple like the music itself and just the like a, a, a distorted guitar to me is just so incredible, you know, and I don't really like, I think punk gets a bad rap in a lot of ways as being like, um, dumb, which it certainly has been in the past and is sometimes, but I like the smart stuff personally. Uh, and there's a a plethora of smart, intelligent, cutting, uh, acerbic punk out there. Uh, and so I like, um, thoughtful, smart, punk stuff uh that that tackles rage or dissatisfaction beyond just like fuck your parents or whatever you know <laughs> what i mean well
0: it sounds like you're talking about the clash is that one of your yeah stuff for, like you know for... with
1: like nuance and intelligence behind it you know
0: well we're winding down so i'm going to ask you my standard exit question and that is what is your own personal rock and roll nightmare
1: i was in a uh punk band um, maybe 15 years ago and we did a couple tours and just being in a van with five grumpy stinky people uh, (laughs) for hours cramped in a van to roll up to find out the show has not has been canceled is such a drag that is my nightmare
0: wow yeah sounds like a lot of people can relate to that one for sure yeah a band has been there and done that Yeah. Um, So what is the best place for fans to follow you online?
1: You know, that's uh, just, I think, a safe bet. You can link to my other social media affiliates, be they dying or not dying, by just going to um, KeithRawson.com. And that's got, like, access to all my books and a list of, like, the stories that I've published and where you can find them as well as my social media handles and, a, you know, a contact if anyone wants to reach out and say hi or whatever.
0: Absolutely. That's a great site. It's simple, easy to follow. And yeah. it, it does link to any of people's favorite socials. I know there's so many now. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're on most of them, right?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Keith. I really appreciate your time and want to congratulate you on your well-deserved success.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Stacey. I really appreciate it.
0: All right, everyone. Fever House is out now and look for the devil by name next year.
1: All All right.
0: Thank you. This concludes another episode of the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. Remember, there's a book series, too. All the books are available in paperback, ebook, and audio via Amazon or the Rock and Roll Nightmares website. That's R O C K N R O L L Nightmares.com. Our official theme song is She's Out for Blood by Fuzzbuster, founded by Lars Cabot. Thank you for listening. Bye.